I'm Tony Steele. I work on the World Monuments Fund project in Mafrak concerning the conservation and restoration of historic masonry. I've been a stonemason and conservator for 50 years. I began in Yorkshire in 1966 and, um, well, continued from there. I've worked on projects throughout the world in Lalibela on the churches there and prior to that in Zanzibar restoring the Anglican Cathedral. Essentially stone structures and latterly soil structures also, but basically stone is my material. In Mafrak, we are training Syrian refugees in the skills required in terms of stonemasonry and the conservation of exterior stone sculpture that will essentially be required when work begins inevitably on the reconstruction of Syria. Currently, there are no such skills. A swathe, a very large swathe of architecturally massively important buildings are in a state of disrepair and destruction. There simply are not the manual skills in terms of tradesmen and also in terms of professionals to supervise successfully such an intervention, and interventions on such a scale. Our project is a flea bite faced with the magnitude of the problem. But from small acorns, mighty oak trees grow. And we're hoping that following iterations of the course will in some way manage to redress this. We have actually no official contact with the Syrian regime, as they call it, whatever. We're not allowed to. It's policy of the British government. We work on generic representations, if you like. The later Ottoman architecture of Damascus and Aleppo is very, very specific. It's really rather beautiful. It's a sort of corruption of classical form. Stonemasonry isn't rocket science, but you do require skills. You do require a certain talent. You do certainly require an ability to visualize things in three dimensions. So the training that we offer utilizes these inerrant talents to teach traditional stonemasonry. Now, traditional stonemasonry involves, first of all, learning to cope the block traditionally, simply by drilling holes and putting in feathers and wedges without machinery. It's then necessary for the student to square that block, to turn that rough quarry prism, if you like, into a piece of dressed masonry. Square, all the faces regular. Now, this is a fundamental act of stonemasonry upon which all stonemasonry is dependent. Once a student can do that, the students can do anything. Stonemasonry is essentially geometry. Geometry gives rise via stonemasonry to arches, to vaults, to domes, really to every sort of architectural feature. So it's essential that students also understand both plain and solid geometry. Now you begin to understand that the attributes of the student are really quite substantial. As I suggest, you do not need to be a rocket scientist, but you do need quite an astute form of intelligence, which is able to assimilate these factors, and also have a feel for stone. It's a craft. It's not an art, it's a craft. And it's vital that the student, who ultimately, hopefully, will become a tradesman, will become a craftsman, as some sort of unity with the stone in order to work successfully with it, such that all of those factors we train and try to inculcate our students with. But sadly, we're not allowed to have any sort of contact whatever with the Assad regime, any government organs, which is a big problem to us, you see, because many of the architectural features that we teach are really quite 
specific to Aleppo, specific to Damascus, much less damage in Damascus, of course. We should actually be within Syria. Originally, the project was planned to take place there, but because of the restraints I previously mentioned, that doesn't happen, which is a big problem, certainly in teaching structural issues. Because later Ottoman buildings are very, very badly put together. They have beautiful facades, you know, rather like the buildings of Bath here in the UK, beautiful facades, but the rest of them utterly incompetent in terms of their, uh, their formulation. Much of it has to be done in a conceptual way, whereas if we were actually on site, then we could do that much, much more effectively. So first of all, there aren't the manual skills in terms of working the stone. One could well visualise some listeners sitting back there thinking, well, that's all very well, but Aleppo has fallen in the past. The Mongols destroyed Aleppo and it rose again. But the point is, the great difference between now and then lies in the fact that the skills, the usage of lime mortar, the usage of stone, in those epochs, was still alive. Now it is no longer alive. Those skills are extinct. So they simply cannot be called upon in order to help rebuild. And really what we are trying to do in our flea-bite sort of a way is recreate these skills, reintroduce them into society, into the construction society, in order to fulfil this. But then, of course, there's the lack of professional supervision. There are no courses. There are no courses whatever, certainly within Syria, Jordan, Iraq, wherein structural engineers are trained in the usage of traditional materials, even in support and restraint mechanisms suitable for badly damaged traditional buildings. So we really do stand on a cusp of losing huge tracts of massively, globally important architecture. My name is Nurlish Defat. I'm an architectural engineer. I'm from Jordan, Al-Mafraq. I'm working as a lecturer in a project implemented by World Monuments Fund. The project name is Stone Masonry and Conservation Training Center. I'm teaching the student engineering drawing so they can imagine three-dimensional before they can carve any stone. Our student, we have to learn them the basics of engineering drawing, how they can use the tools, the triangles and the compasses and the things like that. Even the technical pencils, they can't use it. So we start from the beginning in all of that. Noah, also, not only is there a shortage of skills in stonemasonry as such, in, in the working of geometrical stones, but an even greater shortage of tradesmen able to replicate architectural ornament. Yes, Tony, that's true. They have to know about the architectural details very well so they can understand the whole idea that about our project and why they are here in our training centre. Also, we teach the student about the types of arches, mouldings and vaultings because they have to know about history and heritage in Syria because we have an Umayyad architecture and Abbasi architecture and the Roman arches features that they have to know about. After that, we teach them how to modeling by using a clay for making them to understand the three-dimensional of the architectural ornaments because there is a movement about the leaves, about the flowers and the things like that. So they have to understand very well what they want to carve on the stone. Hopefully, 
we're attempting, we're struggling to train tradesmen who have the ability to work stone to participate in the restoration of really any of Syria's architectural forms. But with particular emphasis to what we might call the vernacular. You see, the spirit of Aleppo Old Town isn't entirely contained within the iconic structures. The town itself, the old city itself, is composed of a myriad of vaulted passageways, beautiful distorted arches, tiny mosques. So these structures that are at real risk, the iconic buildings will probably be taken care of. The real risk is that we're going to lose the spirit and the heart of cities like Aleppo. And our students will have the ability, hopefully, to reverse that, to prevent that, to contribute and have a very powerful impact in the restoration of the minutiae of such cities. Barra's role in all of this on the project is immensely important. She is the coordinator and pays the bills, etc. But also, far more importantly than that, she plays a very powerful role in the recruitment of students. And the quality of students really reflects the quality, ultimately, of the course. Hi, I'm Bara Al-Amush. I'm from Mafraq. Mafraq is in the south of Jordan. It's near the border with the Syrian. There's a lot of refugees in this country, and there's a largest camp in the Jordan. The name is Zahatri Camp. We started in the August last year. We invite all these Syrian refugees and Jordanian. We prepared about 10 orientation sessions. We have 250 participation for our orientation sessions. Then we make a selection about 60. Then we filtration that to have 35 students. The age from 17 to 40, female and male, Jordanian and Syrian. We have a student now from Aleppo and from Homs, from Derha, one or two from Damascus. As I mentioned, we have 35 students. We have 24 men, uh, 23 uh, Syrian from the Syrian refugees, and one is a Jordanian. And you have 11 women, six Jordanian nationality, and the other is a Syrian from the Syrian nationality. The purpose of our coming here to London from Mafraq is to present what we're attempting to do in Mafraq at the Victoria and Albert Museum to a much wider and hopefully more influential audience. The programme is potentially very depressing because the magnitude of the problems that we're hoping to address are such that, left to our own slender resources, we cannot attempt to make any realistic impact. But if we're allowed to succeed and prosper and grow then we can make real impact upon the situation within Syria, inshallah.